You're listening to Pastor Ryan Couch at Calvary Chapel of Crook County as he teaches through the book of 1 Samuel. If you have your Bibles with you, let's join Pastor Ryan now. Tonight we'll be in 1 Samuel 23 to 25, continuing to study the life of David here in 1 Samuel. And we are officially in that part of David's life where he's on the run. He's on the run from a maniac, from King Saul who wants to kill him, who at every opportunity is throwing spears at David, trying to hunt him down. Saul has gone so far over the edge that in the last chapter, in chapter 22, we saw him kill over 80 priests in his anger and his wrath because he was so inflamed against David. And this priest had kind of helped David out and and covered for him. And, And Saul was so enraged that he killed him and all of the other priests uh, there in um, wherever it was. I, I can't remember where it was. That drives me nuts when, I, when that happens. Um, anywhere, anyway, some, somewhere. Now I want to know. Do you guys remember <laughs> where he was at? Anyway, wherever the priests were, he killed a bunch of them. And, um, and, and now David, like I said, is officially uh, on the run from Saul. And in chapter 23... It says, then they told David, saying, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah, and they are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. Now, something that that stands out to me in this is that David is thinking of of others even in the midst of his own difficulty. I think we we talked about that on Sunday with Zacharias and and how he was ministering to the people and serving the Lord in the midst of his trial. And, And what a great lesson that is for us. And I think about David and I think about all that he's going through and somebody wants to kill him and he's lost everything. We've talked about that at great length, how David has lost his family his, his position, his wealth, his reputation. In, in those kinds of circumstances, you don't typically find people thinking of others. And yet here's David, and he hears about a need in Keilah. And, and he thinks, you know what, I can meet that need. Even though I'm going through difficulties, I can meet that need. God's provided 400 men for us to fight, so let's do it. And, and I want you guys to think about the opportunities that are in your path every day, despite what you may be going through physically, as we, we hear of all these folks in the church who are struggling physically, or financially, of course, many are, are hurting financially right now, or um, whatever trial you may be experiencing, one of the greatest victories that you will have over that is by serving others and thinking of others going to battle on behalf of other people. And David inquired of the Lord. Now, this is going to stand in stark contrast to another story we're going to read about tonight where David impetuously goes to battle against somebody and he doesn't pray about it. But here he prays and he asks the Lord, shall I go and attack the Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go. And that's so important that we're seeking the Lord for his will for the different things that we're doing. That there may be needs, but it doesn't mean that God's called you to meet that need. And I've kind of had to learn this the hard way, because when you commit to something as a Christian and as a a person that that wants to be honorable with your word, you need to commit and stick to that. 
And sometimes I commit to things because it's a need. And then shortly after, I realize I don't really have a burden for this. I wish I hadn't committed to this. And then I kind of have to stick it out until I can bag it or, or until the appropriate time. And so you need to be careful of that. That just because you hear about a need, you don't just jump on it. Just like Nehemiah, he heard about the need that Jerusalem needed to be rebuilt. It was a huge need. And he thought... I can meet that need. And it was three months after that that he received really the burden from the Lord. And so now it was a need coupled with a burden and a calling. And when you have that, then you have what it takes to to stay the course. And so David hears about a need, but he prays, Lord, is this what you would have? But David's men said to him, look, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more than if we go up to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? So they're like, look, we're hiding out here in Judah in caves, running for our lives. We're afraid and we're not even fighting, let alone if we're going to go there and engage in battle against the Philistines. Remember these 400 quote unquote mighty men of David that they're described for us as not exactly a dream team. They were discouraged. They were in debt. They were defeated. They were kind of the outcasts of society. And, and their mental state is kind of coming to pass here. It's, it's showing its colors. Then David inquired of the Lord once again. He's like, Lord, look, I mean, I can't go by myself. And these guys are totally freaking out. And the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will deliver the Philistines into your hand. Don't worry about it. I've shown you a need. I've given you a calling. And I will supply the resources necessary for you to be successful. And so if God shows you a need and then he gives you a burden for that and a calling for that, don't worry about, well, I don't have enough money or I don't have enough time or I don't have enough, you fill in the blank of what you're lacking. God will supply it. His calling is his enabling. And so if he's called you to do something, he will meet the need. Just like he says to David here. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines, struck them with a mighty blow, and took away their livestock. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. Now it happened when Abiathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he went down with an ephod in his hand. Now you remember Abiathar, we learned about him at the end of chapter 22. He's the son of this priest that was killed at the hands of Saul. And David said to him that you'll be safe with me. Just stick with me because the the, the people that want to kill me also are going to want to kill you. So just stick with me and I'll protect you. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. So Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand. Isn't it interesting and convenient that Saul thinks that God is on his side? And and it's so funny to me when, when you encounter people that are totally out of the will of God, who are just insane, and, and yet they'll claim that, that God is behind what they're doing. They'll say, you know, well, God's going to bless me, or, or God's going to take care of me, and, and God has called me to do this. And, and you're thinking, are you out of your mind? And, and it's interesting that Saul really has no heart for God, but he thinks that God is on his side. God has delivered David into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars. Then Saul called all the people together for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. 
When David knew that Saul plotted evil against him, he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has certainly heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city for my sake. Will the men of Keilah deliver me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah deliver me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will deliver you. So David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah and went wherever they could go. Then it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, so he halted the expedition. So now David's army is up to 600 men, and so God is blessing him, and God is providing for him, and and God is going to take care of him, and God is directing him and guiding him and giving him wisdom and showing him what he ought to do and and what he shouldn't do in, in this regard. And you guys, when you're in the will of God, no matter how bleak your circumstances may be, and they were pretty bleak for David, no matter how horrible your circumstances are, if you're in the middle of God's will, he will give you wisdom. He will guide you. He will protect you as we see him doing here. And remember I talked about last week, there were all these opportunities for Saul to kill David, and yet he never could. I mean, here they are in the same room. I don't know how big the room is, but Saul's got a full-on spear, and he can never hit David, like three or four times. And I mean, I'm not like an expert with a spear, but I'm pretty sure I could probably hit any one of you right now if I really wanted to with a spear. I mean, it wouldn't be that hard. You know, if I got a big old spear, I think I could hit Kelly with it and probably not miss. And how in the world Saul is just missing David all the time? The only explanation is because God was protecting him. Because we see with the priests, Saul had no problem killing all of them. Dozens of them. He kills them all. And and obviously, that was the Lord's will. But for David, God was protecting him. He had a plan for him. And you guys, when you're in the middle of God's will, you're invincible. Nothing will happen to you that God does not want to happen to you. And everything that God wants to happen to you will. So just chill out. Rest in the Lord. Know that he's in control. He's going to provide for you. He's going to protect you. He's going to give you wisdom. He's going to show you where to go. Maybe not all at once. Probably not all at once. But each day, he'll give you the the wisdom for that day to take the next step. And so Saul hears that David had escaped from Keilah. He halts the expedition. And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day. And then look at this. But God did not deliver him into his hand. So David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. And David was in the wilderness of Ziph in a forest. Then Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David in the woods and strengthened his hand in God. That is, he encouraged him. Now this is interesting to me also because there's no email, there's no cell phone. How did Jonathan find David? Saul can't find him to save his life. Jonathan finds him no problem. And maybe there was messengers sent, and I'm sure there was some kind of communication. But Jonathan sought David out, and, and God wanted to bring Jonathan to David to uh, encourage him, and it, and it happened. But all this time, Saul's trying to find him. He can't find him, because God did not deliver him into his hand. And he said to him, 
That is, Jonathan said to David, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Even my father Saul knows that. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And David stayed in the woods, and Jonathan went to his own house. Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in strongholds in the woods, in the hill of Hakalah, which is on the south of Jeshimon? Now therefore, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to come down, and our part shall be to deliver him into the king's hands. And Saul said, Blessed are you of the Lord, for you have compassion on me. Please go and find out for sure, and see the place where his hideout is, and who has seen him there. For I am told he is very crafty. See therefore, and take knowledge of all the lurking places where he hides, and come back to me with certainty, and I will go with you. And it shall be, if he is in the land, that I will search for him throughout all the clans of Judah. So they arose and went to Ziph before Saul. But David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon, in the plain in the south of Jeshimon. When Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David. Therefore he went down to the rock and stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Then Saul went on one side of the mountain and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. So David made haste to get away from Saul. For Saul and his men were encircling David and his men to take them. But a messenger came to Saul saying, Hurry and come. For the Philistines have invaded the land. Therefore David returned from, or Saul returned from pursuing David and went against the Philistines. So they escaped that place, the rock of escape. Then David went up from there and dwelt in strongholds at En Gedi. And so David again escapes Saul at the rock of escape, it's called. And it, it makes me think of, of 1 Corinthians where, where God says that no temptation has seized us except what is common to man. And in the midst of temptation, God has given us a way of escape. And so that whatever comes our way, and that word temptation can, can really speak of temptation and sin, it can also speak of trials and difficulties. That, that nothing that comes your way, whether it be a temptation or whether it be a trial, nothing has overtaken you except what is common to man. And in the midst of that, God has given you a way of escape that you should not be overcome by that. God has given us a way of escape, a, a way to find rest, a, a way to have victory over the sin. Just like he did for David there at the rock of escape. And David went up from there and dwelt in strongholds at En Gedi. Now En Gedi is, is in the southern part of Israel, down by the Dead Sea. And it's a, it's a desert down there. It's, it's barren. It's dry. The Dead Sea, of course, is, is a sea that is uninhabitable. There's no life in the sea. Thus, it's called the Dead Sea. It's so mineral laden that nothing can live. Not even bacteria lives in the Dead Sea. But there in En Gedi, which are these huge rocks with caves, there, there's a waterfall there. There is lush greenery. There's food. And it's an amazingly beautiful place. It's an oasis. And so it makes sense that David would flee there and go there. Now it happened when Saul had returned from following the Philistines that it was told him, saying, Take note, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. 
Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men from all Israel and went to seek David and his men on the rocks of the wild goats, which is literally uh, what En Gedi is. It's, it's the rocks of the wild goats. And in En Gedi, which I've, I've been there, uh, there you'll, you'll see along all the, the rim rocks, these uh, ibex, these, these wild goats. And so it makes sense that David would be there because there's shelter, there's food, roasted goat. I mean, what's better than that? There, there's uh, water, it, it's safe there. And apparently Saul has some kind of deep throat that keeps telling him everywhere that David goes. David is, is in En Gedi and Saul finds out he takes 3,000 men. And he came to the sheepfolds by the road where there was a cave. And there's caves all over in that area. Some are enormous. And, and you guys are probably familiar with the Dead Sea Scrolls. And in the cave of Qumran, that's in that area where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, right there by En Gedi. And there was a cave, and Saul went in to attend to his needs, went to go to the bathroom. David and his men were staying in the recesses of the cave. And so, picture the scene. Saul's like, I got to go to the bathroom. He goes into a cave, and it's the very cave that David and his men are in. But they're further back in the cave. Then the men of David said to him, this is the day which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will deliver your enemy into your hand, that you may do to him as it seems good to you. They're like, dude, this is your opportunity. He's vulnerable. His pants are down, literally. This is it. You know, you can kind of picture the Secret Service standing out in front of the cave like nobody's getting in here, you know. Little do they know, they're already in there. This is perfect. The guys are stoked. And David arose and secretly cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now it happened afterward that David's heart troubled him because he had cut Saul's robe. And he said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him, seeing he is the anointed of the Lord. David did not feel that it was the time. It wasn't his place. He didn't feel like God was calling him to kill Saul, even though Saul was trying to kill him. He respected Saul's position in his life, and he was not going to take into his own hands what was the Lord's. Now, I want you guys to think about how you handle your enemies, how you handle those that are seeking to harm you. Probably not physically. I mean, we live in America. It's pretty rare that somebody's trying to kill you, but... Lots of times people are trying to destroy you with their words, trying to ruin your reputation. And how do you respond to that? And if given the opportunity to get back at them, what do you do? I mean, I think if I'm David, Saul's toast. I mean, why not? But he didn't feel that liberty and that freedom. And you know, you may have people in your family who have destroyed you with their words, who have cut you down, who have hurt you and harmed you. And given opportunities with others, do you seek revenge? Do you seek to destroy them, to injure them, to harm them? Do you seek to defend yourself by wanting everybody to know that they're wrong and you're right? And see, this is the thing with David, that with Saul, he understood that it was, had nothing to do with who was wrong and who was right. He was completely convinced he was right. There was no question of that. But he was going to let God take care of it. And I want to encourage all of us. 
in your struggles with people, let God take care of them. If you go around trying to defend yourself, if you go around trying to seek retribution, it will only make you look bad. And David shows amazing self-control in this situation, which again, I think shows us that godly men are conflicted. Because later in David's life, even later in the next chapter, we're going to see that David doesn't have self-control. And then, of course, with Bathsheba, he shows no self-control. But here, he had victory. And I think it shows us that we're conflicted people, that one day we make great decisions, the next day we make horrible decisions. Here, David makes a great decision. He cuts off the corner of Saul's robe, which I think is interesting because God is continuing to speak to Saul that his kingdom has been taken from him. You remember earlier when he was speaking with Samuel and Samuel was telling him that his kingdom had been taken from him and Saul refused to heed that and he was wanting Samuel to come with him to offer sacrifice and to worship and he turned around and Samuel had a hold of his robe and it ripped and Samuel said, so too has God taken your kingdom from you, ripped it from your hands, and given it to one greater than you. And here David is cutting Saul's robe, God speaking to Saul that his kingdom has been cut away from him. And David said to his men, look, Lord forbid that I should do this thing. Lord forbid that I should harm Saul when he hasn't called me to do that. Lord forbid that I should injure the Lord's anointed. Even though the guy's a maniac, he's a psychopath, Even though he's completely consumed with himself, God hasn't called me to judge him. God's going to do it. God's going to take care of it in his time. Look at verse 7. So David restrained his servants with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul got up from the cave and went on his way. He literally had to restrain them. And you can picture that they, they probably weren't happy about this. This is our opportunity. Are you out of your mind? And you may have people in your life that say, look, this is your opportunity to get back. You can make them look bad. You can have leverage. We all want leverage. And when you get it, it's like, oh yeah, I'm going to use this against that person. I'm going to take advantage of this situation. I'm going to use it as blackmail. Or I'm going to use it to throw it in their face. And, And these guys are just overcome with emotion. They, they can't understand what David's doing. He has to restrain them with his words. David also arose afterward, went out of the cave, and called out to Saul, saying, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David stooped with his face to the earth and bowed down. Amazing. Again, I don't know that my pride could allow myself to compliment a person who was trying to kill me who was making my life miserable, who's taking everything from me, who had ruined my life. And yet David calls him my Lord, the King. He stoops down in honor, in reverence. So many amazing lessons for us. And the people in your life that are hurting you, that are harming you, that if you let them control your emotions, if you let them cause you and drive you to sin, that they're having victory over you. But you can have victory over them By doing what David does, by showing them respect, by loving them, by blessing them, by honoring them. And David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of men who say, indeed, David seeks your harm? Look, this day your eyes have seen that the Lord delivered you today into my hand in the cave. And someone urged me to kill you, but my eyes spared you. And I said, I will not stretch out my hand against the Lord, against my Lord. 
for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yes, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you. Know and see that there is neither evil nor rebellion in my hand, and I have not sinned against you, yet you hunt my life to take it. Let the Lord judge between you and me, and let the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the proverb of the ancients says, Wickedness proceeds from the wicked, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A flea? Therefore, let the Lord be judge, and judge between you and me, and see and plead my case, and deliver me out of your hand. Again, David just puts it into the hands of the Lord. And you guys, whatever difficulty you're having with people right now, and I would say whatever difficulty you're having, period, but certainly the, the context here would be difficulty with people. Whatever difficulty you're having with people right now, I, I just want to encourage you. Put it into the hands of the Lord. Let Him deal with it. He does a much better job. Let the Lord judge between you and them. It's not a, a matter of proving who's right or the principle of it or, or proving your point. All that you'll do in that regard is... Sin against the Lord, make yourself look like an idiot, hurt other people along the way, and ultimately you want victory, right? You want to win. The greatest way you can win is by killing that person with kindness, by loving them, by being Jesus to them. That's the mark of strength. Like Proverbs says, stronger is a man that can rule his own emotions than a man that can take a city. Ruling your own emotions is a huge part of the Christian life. And if you're allowing your anger and your wrath to control you against somebody else, you are defeated. You may want to win, but you're defeated. You've allowed that person to beat you because you have surrendered yourself to them. You have said, I'm no longer in control of myself. You're in control of me because you are pushing my buttons to the point that I am so enraged against you that I can't think straight. And now you've lost. You think you're winning, but you're losing. David understood this. He had such amazing insight. So it was when David had finished speaking these words to Saul that Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And Saul lifted up his voice and wept. It broke his heart. Even Saul, a man who you think has no conscience, no emotions, no heart for people. He just killed a bunch of innocent priests. Even he was broken over this. If you want to have victory with the people that you're struggling with, model David and it will break their hearts. The Bible says that a kind word, a soft word turns away wrath. That's how we defeat people. If you want to win and get back at people, that's the only way. David has won a great victory here. His men thought that he passed up an opportunity to win. His men thought that he lost because he didn't take Saul's life. But in actuality, he won. Then he said to David, you are more righteous than I. Again, Saul recognizes you're a better person than I am, David. David once again has won. He recognized that. And ultimately, you guys, when you handle yourself like David does, the Lord will bring it to pass that you are known as the person who was better. You will be known as the better person. Maybe not right away, but ultimately God will avenge and you will have that reputation 
For you have rewarded me with good, whereas I have rewarded you with evil. And you have shown this day how you have dealt well with me. For when the Lord delivered me into your hand, you did not kill me. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him get away safely? Saul's amazed. He's thinking to himself, I would never do that. If the tables were turned, I would have killed you so fast. Therefore, may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now I know indeed that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Therefore, swear now to me by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me and that you will not destroy my name from my father's house. So David swore to Saul, and Saul went home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. Again, Saul, so pathetic here, says, Look, you've won. The kingdom is yours. God has taken it from me. He's given it to you. Just promise me this, David, that you won't cut off my descendants, that you'll keep my name going. And I mean, I think, again, at this point, I would have said, Hey, why don't you take a long walk off a short dock, my friend? I got no interest in making you look good. I'm going to make you look bad to as many people as I can. But David swore to Saul. He said, I'll do that. I've got no interest in running your name through the mud, Saul. I've got no interest in making you look bad. I just want to serve the Lord. Amazing example. Then Samuel died, one of the greatest men in the Bible. His life comes to an end. He served the Lord his whole life. And the Israelites gathered together and lamented for him and buried him at his home in Ramah. And David arose and went down to the wilderness of Paran. Now there was a man in Maon whose business was in Carmel. Carmel. And the man was very rich and had 3,000 sheep and 1,000 goats. That's kind of how they measured their wealth was with their livestock. 3,000 sheep, a lot of sheep, 1,000 goats. And he was shearing his sheep in Carmel. And the name of the man was Nabal. Now, we're not sure if he was actually named that by his parents because the name means foolish. And why they would name their son that, who knows? Maybe it it, it came along later. The name of his wife, Abigail. And she was a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance. So not only was she hot, but she was smart. That's that's basically what's being said there. You know, and, and I mean, hey, if you can find a woman like that, that's a good, that's a good woman. I, I think I found a woman like that. Praise the Lord for that. Because a lot of times, beautiful women are not so smart. And, and a lot of times, you know, it's hard to find that combination. But man, when you find a woman like that, you found a good thing. And, and I found a woman like that. Praise the Lord. But the man was harsh and evil in his doings. So Abigail's this amazing woman, but she married an idiot. And, and you might think, well, why would this smart girl who's got so much going for her marry an idiot who's a fool? Well, you remember, they arranged weddings back then. So when little Abigail and little Nabal were just kids, it was arranged. And so this idea of finding your Mr. Right and, and finding the perfect woman for you, that was foreign to them. They had no concept of that. You got hooked up with somebody and you just hoped as a, as a girl that he didn't grow up to be as ugly as mud. And if the guy was somewhat attractive, it was like cherry on top. And you just hoped as a guy that this girl wasn't going to be your worst nightmare. That's, you just were like, oh, Lord. And if, and if things worked out and you actually liked each other and loved each other, that was a bonus. But divorce was, was not really an option. And so 
unfortunately for Abigail, who's attractive and smart, she gets hooked up with a fool. And she's probably miserable with this guy. When David heard in the wilderness that Nabal was shearing his sheep, which is a huge job, he's got 3,000 of them, and it would have been a time of celebration. Shearing the sheep would have been a time where they were partying and feasting and roasting the sheep. When David heard that this was going on, he sent 10 young men. And David said to the young men, Go up to Carmel, go to Nabal, and greet him in my name. Remember, David is a household name. He's a hero. He killed Goliath. And thus you shall say to him who lives in prosperity, Peace be to you, peace be to your house, and peace to all that you have. Shalom. Peace. We we come wanting to bless you, but we, we need something from you. Now, I have heard that you have shears. Your shepherds were with us, and we did not hurt them, nor was there anything missing from them all the while they were in Carmel. And so while they were out tending the sheep and and letting the sheep uh, go into the different pastures and herding them around, they had come in contact with David's men, and David's men had protected them and come alongside them. And so he's just reminding them of that. He's reminding, wanting to remind Nabal of that. Ask your young men, and they will tell you. Therefore, let my young men find favor in your eyes. So he says, ask them. They'll tell you that we've, we've helped you out. For we come on a feast day. Please give whatever comes to your hand to give to your servants and to your son David. So in other words, just can you send some food? We're out here. We're fleeing for our lives. Can you help us out? So when David's young men came, they spoke to Nabal according to all these words in the name of David and waited. So they presented what David told them to Nabal. Then Nabal answered David's servants and said, Who is David? And who is the son of Jesse? He knew who he was, but this is a sarcastic remark like, why do I care? Who the heck is he? There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. You guys are a dime a dozen. Shall I then take my bread and my water and my meat that I have killed for my shears and give it to men when I do not know where they are from? My stuff? Think I'm going to give it to you? You're out of your mind. So David's young men turned on their heels and went back. And they came and told him all these words. Then David said to his men, Every man gird on his sword. So every man girded, every man girded on his sword. And David also girded on his sword. And about 400 men went with David, and 200 stayed with the supplies. Now, juxtapose this with how David handled the situation initially in chapter 23, where he inquired of the Lord, should I go up to Keilah? He prayed. We don't see David praying here. He says, hey guys, strap on your swords. We're going to go kick some butt. We also see David being very patient with Saul, not wanting to take things into his own hands. But here David takes things into his own hands. No prayer. He's going to take Nabal out. And again, I think it shows us, you guys, that David was conflicted like all of us. One minute he is showing amazing self-control. One minute he is in control of his emotions. The next minute he's letting anger rule him. He's upset. He's angry for good reason. But did God tell him to kill Nabal? Absolutely not. Was it that big of a deal? Not really. Was God going to supply his needs? Hadn't he supplied him all of this time? David is just wanting to show Nabal who's boss. Like, look, I can take it from a king, okay? A king can follow me around the desert slinging spears at me all day long, and I can handle that. But a foolish farmer? Hey, I'm David, dude. I I can't handle that. Now, one of the young men told Abigail, Nabal's wife, saying, Look, 
David sent messengers from the wilderness to greet our master, and he reviled them. And so they, they tell Abigail, look, Nabal blew it. David asked for help. He didn't give it to him. In fact, he scolded them. But the men were very good to us, and we were not hurt, nor did we miss anything as long as we accompanied them when we were in the fields. So they're recounting to Abigail the situation that David had been good to them, that he had blessed them, that had never done any harm to them. They were a wall to us both by night and day. All the time we were with them, keeping the sheep. Now therefore know and consider what we will do, for the harm is determined against our master and against his household. For he is such a scoundrel that no one can speak to him. Literally, this is, he's a son of Belial, or you know, you, you put it into English. What this guy is saying about Nabal. He's an idiot. He's a fool. Nobody can talk to him. You're going to have to deal with this, Abigail. You're the only one that can take care of this. And so here's David with all of his men. They're going to come against Nabal. They're going to kill him. And it, it makes me think about this. That the big things in my life that I pray a lot about, that I seek the Lord about, the souls in my life, it's, it's typically easier to have victory in those areas. And, and you know, you'll have a few of those in your life. The, the big things, the, the people that just want to destroy you, the circumstance that, that wants to ruin your life, and, and you're prayed up and you're seeking the Lord, and, and oftentimes it's in those things that we have victory. But in the meantime, between those major life events, there's lots of nables, and it's the nables that get me. It's the daily things. It's the little stuff that I'm not really praying about that takes me off guard and I take it into my own hands. A lot of times, you guys, the big stuff, we handle it well. But it's the little things, the nables that we want to take into our own hands and that we want to just say, you know what? I can't handle this. I'm dealing with this one on my own. I mean, here's David, amazingly self-controlled with Saul. But now with Nabal, He's absolutely out of control. Then Abigail made haste and took 200 loaves of bread. I don't know who has 200 loaves of bread in their house, but apparently Abigail did. Two skins of wine, five sheep already dressed, five seahs of roasted grain, 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, and loaded them on donkeys. She's a smart woman. She knows that the way to a man's heart is through food. And she's like, look... I'm going to bless these guys. She doesn't just go out there in anger. She doesn't go out there saying, you know, look, you're going to make a mistake. In a a way, she kind of bribes them and and she sweetens the deal. The same thing Jacob did with Esau. He knew Esau was coming. He sent out gifts ahead of him. And, And you know what? There's wisdom in that. If you're having conflict with people, I'm not saying to bribe them, but I'm saying bless them. Go out of your way to to give to them. It will soften their hearts. And she said to her servants, Go on before me. See, I am coming after you. But she did not tell her husband Nabal, which was the smartest thing she she ever did probably. So it was as she rode on the donkey that she went down under cover of the hill. And there were David and his men coming down toward her. And she met them. Now David had said, Surely in vain I have protected all that this fellow has in the wilderness so that nothing was missed of all that belongs to him, and he has repaid me evil for good. So David's just talking to himself, just thinking, you know what, we wasted our time, we helped this guy out, and now he won't even give us some lousy bread and wine? And he's just fuming. 
Surely in vain I've done this. May God do so and more also to the enemies of David if I leave one male of all who belong to him by morning light. If one of his descendants is alive, may God do more so to me and to my enemies if I leave one of them alive. And so you can just see how upset David is about this. And you guys, in those situations, when you're ruled by your emotions, you have to stop. You see how impetuous David is here? He hasn't prayed. He doesn't let any time go by. And and I know for me that that a great rule of thumb is that when I really want to say something, I probably shouldn't. And when I don't want to say anything, I probably should. It's a great rule of thumb. Almost 100% of the time it's right. When I want to say something, when I want to give people a piece of my mind, even though I don't have a whole lot to give away, when I want to just rip into somebody, almost 100% of the time I shouldn't say anything. Just let time go by. Let the Lord deal with it. And every time that I don't want to say something, that I want to avoid that confrontation, that I hope it just goes away, those are the times when I need to act. It's a great rule of thumb. But give time, no matter what. Give time. I can't tell you how many times I have blown it because I acted too quickly. I got on the phone. I, I sent an email. I, I went to somebody and, and, and got into their face about something and it never goes well. But when I give it time, most of the time, and you can resonate with this, I'm sure, when I give it time, amazingly, it just goes away. You ever notice that? And it's like, oh yeah, what about that situation? I was going to deal with that. I guess it took care of itself. And you save yourself heartache and pain and hurt. Now when Abigail saw David, she dismounted quickly from the donkey, fell on her face before David, and bowed down to the ground. So she fell at his feet and said, On me, my Lord, on me, let this iniquity be. And please let your maidservant speak in your ears and hear the words of your maidservant. Please let not my Lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal, fool, is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your maidservant, did not see the young men of my Lord whom you sent. Now therefore, my Lord, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, since the Lord has held you back from coming to bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hand, now then let your enemies and those who seek harm for my Lord, be his Nabal. And now this present which your maidservant has brought to my Lord, let it be given to the young men who follow my Lord. Please forgive the trespass of your maidservant, for the Lord will certainly make for my Lord an enduring house, because my Lord fights the battles of the Lord, and evil is not found in you throughout your days. Yet a man has risen to pursue you and seek your life, But the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living with the Lord your God. And the lives of your enemies he shall sling out as from the pocket of a sling. And it shall come to pass when the Lord has done for my Lord according to all the good that he has spoken concerning you and has appointed you ruler over Israel that this will be no grief to you nor offense of heart to my Lord either that you have shed blood without cause or that my Lord has avenged himself. But when the Lord has dealt well with my Lord, then remember your maidservant. Abigail speaks with amazing wisdom. And of course, when she's talking about my Lord, she's talking about David. It it was a, a symbol of respect for David. 
Basically, what she says to him is, look, God has fought all of your battles, David. You remember Goliath? She refers to a sling here. Remember Goliath? God gave you that victory. You know how you're running from Saul? God's protecting you. You've allowed God to win all of these battles for you. You've given everything over to his hand to protect you and to provide for you and to guide you. Why aren't you doing that in this situation, David? And it was a word of wisdom from Abigail to David. You know what? Pray for Abigails in your life. Pray that God sends you people that will speak wisdom to you, that will tell you what you need to hear. And then when confronted, heed their advice, heed their warnings, listen to them. Don't defend yourself. Don't be so prideful that you can't listen to others. Have a teachable heart. How easy would it have been for David to say to this woman, who are you? I'm David. I'm the next king of Israel. But he doesn't do that. He, he's teachable because David has a heart after the Lord. He's humble. Yeah, he makes mistakes. He's being controlled by his anger right now. But at the end of the day, ultimately, David's heart was toward God. And that's why when God sent Abigail, he was willing to listen. Pray for Abigail's in your life. Listen to how he responds. David said to Abigail, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel who sent you this day to meet me. And blessed is your advice. And blessed are you because you have kept me this day from coming to bloodshed and from avenging myself with my own hand. For indeed, as the Lord God of Israel lives, who has kept me back from hurting you, unless you had hurried and come to meet me, surely by morning light no males would have been left to Nabal. So David received from her hand what she had brought him and said to her, Go up in peace to your house. See, I have heeded your voice and respected your person. Now Abigail went to Nabal, and there he was, holding a feast in his house like the feast of a king. And Nabal's heart was merry within him, for he was very drunk. Therefore she told him nothing, little or much, until morning light. This, this lady has amazing wisdom in how she deals with an idiot of a husband. And, and, and ladies, if you're married to a, a guy that is not a believer, that does not follow the Lord... Study the life of Abigail here. Look at how she handles herself. I think the tendency would be to to come home and to rip into him. Say, you lousy drunk, what are you doing? I just saved your life. But she, she holds it back until the morning when the wine had gone from Nabal. Wisdom. And the wife and his wife had told him these things and his heart died within him and he became like a stone. And the reason for that is because it was such a disgrace to have your wife protect you. If it wasn't for his wife, he would be dead. Then it happened after about 10 days that the Lord struck Nabal and he died. God took care of it. David didn't have to do anything. God will take care of those situations in your life, you guys. If you'll just let him do it, he'll do a much better job. So when David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Blessed be the Lord who has pleaded the cause of my reproach from the hand of Nabal and has kept his servant from evil. See, David recognized God took care of it, and he kept me from sinning. For the Lord has returned the wickedness of Nabal on his own head. And David sent and proposed to Abigail to take her as his wife. David was like, look, I want this lady. She's amazing. When the servants of David had come to Abigail at Carmel, they spoke to her saying, David sent us to you to ask you to become his wife. Then she arose, bowed her face to the earth and said, Here is your maidservant, a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. This lady, just a servant's heart, says, I just want to serve. 
I'll do whatever. And I'm sure that she was totally stoked because she's been married to a fool. He's now dead. She's freed from it. And those are amazing times. When you handle yourself right and God frees you and and opens up doors for you to be blessed and it's right and it's of the Lord and God did it. See, she could have poisoned his wine. She could have killed him in the middle of the night. She didn't do that. She let God do it. So Abigail rose in haste. She's totally excited and rode on a donkey attended by five of her maidens, the wedding party. And she followed the messengers of David and became his wife. David also took a Ahinoam of Jezreel, and so both of them were his wives. Kind of throws a little bit of a wet blanket on the whole romance here. You know, it's not quite classic movie material. Takes another wife. But Saul had given Michael, his daughter, David's wife, to Palti, the son of Laish, who was from Galim. And so Saul, in his hatred of David, gave his wife, Michael, to somebody else. And so we'll pick it up in chapter 26, uh, after the the new year, we'll, we'll finish it out in a couple more studies. Amazing, amazing stuff. Appreciate your guys' patience. Let's stand and pray together. Father, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for these truths. Lord, I pray that it would point us to you, that Jesus, we would leave here tonight, having been spoken to, you, to by you, seeing you in the midst of this, Jesus, that we would allow you to take care of the struggles and the difficulties in our life, that we wouldn't take them into our own hands, and that we would see you work things out the way you do in David's life, how you protected him, how you provided for him, how you led and guided him through all of the different circumstances. God, I just pray that you would do the same in our lives. God, give us patience, give us self-control. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to Pastor Ryan Couch of Calvary Chapel, Crook County. For more information, you can write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thanks for listening, and God bless.